Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Stu Hodem with Believe in the Media Guide on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? As we begin a second month of social distancing measures during the COVID-19 pandemic, brands in general, and sports in particular, continue to connect with fans. One of the biggest brands in sports is the Big Ten Conference. With its men's basketball tournament canceled midway through and its spring sports schedule scuttled, the league has found unique ways to program its television network and take advantage of its digital and social channels to keep students, alumni, and fans of its 14 schools engaged. As director, digital content for the Big Ten Network, Chris Malcolm and his team have been creating content to connect with fans, and you can connect with him on Twitter, at the Chris Malcolm, all one word. Chris Malcolm, welcome to Believe in the Media Guide. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing quite well, all things considered. How are you, Stu? Not bad, thanks. Yeah, that's a good point, all things considered. And as you and your team create content for BTN.com and the at Big Ten Network social handles, during this time, what features and initiatives have worked and how do you interact with fans? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a really interesting uh, challenge um, it, because when, when you take away live sports from a, a network, a TV network based on live sports, um, and we do you know hundreds and hundreds of events, it leaves a bit of a vacuum just as it leaves a vacuum for the sports fan. But what, what we did early on was obviously you have to react to the news. So you, you may remember that we had actually a first night of the Big Ten Men's Basketball Conference Tournament, and uh, there was news of, of the pandemic, obviously, around that. It was Thursday morning when the Big Ten kind of shut it all down. So we were kind of in a, in a we started working from home uh, that Friday, the following day, and have been ever since. And we were in kind of a, I wouldn't say a scramble mode, but it was, it was kind of a, well, well now what? And, and once you got past the, the kind of the initial wave of the news, which was, you know, the tournament's done, and then the next, I believe the next few days, all sports were done, and then schools really started shutting down, we started to turn our attention to things that we had kind of been working on over the years, but weren't on the front burner. And, and what it comes back to for us is, you know, finding old games, classic games, classic moments, uh, men's, men's basketball, football, but, but also some other sports as well. And trying to not, not so much dust them off, but try to reinvent them. And so one of the things we really put our shoulder against was a thing we're calling uh, Big Ten Video Recalls. And that's where we use Zoom to connect with players and coaches who have a lot of time on their hands and have them watch uh, a game, part of a game, uh, part of a wrestling match, a full wrestling match, and take us inside. And, and what we found early on, and this is very, very early for us, what we found is, one, not only are they, are they willing to relive you know, a great moment in their sports career, um, but they've really enjoyed it, and it comes across. And so that's what we've kind of honed in on. We're still creating content with our TV studio uh, colleagues. Uh, we do a show, one show a week on, on air um, that is, is, is general news, but also, you know, we have the NFL draft, for instance, this week. So that was, it was draft centric. Um, and we'll take, uh, you know, pieces of the studio content 
that they're making. And that's a whole other story too. And that studio usually makes television and then we make the digital content. And what's happening now is our studio colleagues are really getting up to speed on what works on, on, on digital, whether it's Twitter or YouTube or Facebook. So they're getting a real education in not only what kind of content works, but also what formats should be pushed out. So it's kind of brought the BTN team uh, much closer together. Not that we weren't close before, but uh, a lot more ideating, a lot more time on our hands, and just a lot more thinking about what we're pushing out. Yeah, and as you get into that sausage, I wonder, does the conference itself have fans, or are you focused when you're creating this content on more school-specific content? You know what? Not much has really changed for us um, with this pandemic. Uh, We've always been pretty school-centric because that's what works. Um, we, it doesn't mean we dismiss the kind of the conference wide look. Um, but I think on digital, certainly we do a pretty good job of, of balancing that because at the end of the day, um, you can't, you can't hope and expect all big 10 fans to want to see all the big 10 content. And I think, you know, the, the TV network has, has done a really good job over the years and coming up on 13 here for me. Of, of doing a balance. So you, you serve the Michigan fan, you serve the Ohio State fan, but then you also serve, you know, the overall fan of the conference. But <clears throat> I'm an Illinois graduate, and I don't necessarily care to see content from Indiana. So we've always put kind of the school focus first. And I'll give you a good example of how BTN has done that. We actually have two digital departments at BTN, and one of them oversees campus producers can't, who work for BTN who, who are actually embedded in their school athletic departments and are creating content specifically from their schools. And it's allowed us to kind of tap into a little bit more men's basketball, a little bit more football, but strictly purely social digital content that covers all the other sports as well. Um, and, and that has really kind of boosted our school centric strategy and our school centric programming. So yes, you know, we are the big 10 network, but we know our 14 schools want content for their fan bases. Yeah, and uh, that video recall with the Wisconsin team that went on a run and knocked off an undefeated Kentucky, that, that was a great example of content that you worked with the, the broadcast side to, to pull off. And as a Rutgers graduate, I'm you know interested in Rutgers, but there's a great story there with Wisconsin, and um, I really appreciated yeah. that. Yeah, yeah and, and, and it allows us to, to, to dig in, not just kind of to spread it around to each of the schools, which we will definitely do, but to really dig in on the moments that the schools care about. We actually have one coming up here in a, f- a few weeks, I believe, where we're going to try to recreate the, uh, I believe it was 1982 when Rutgers won the Women's Basketball Championship. That's right. And, yeah. and we hope to have uh, the coach involved and actually a guy who was in the stands who now coaches at Northwestern and perhaps even a player from the team. And we wouldn't have had the time necessarily to do that um, without this kind of stoppage in play. And, and it doesn't mean we'll stop doing it when, when play returns, because we think, we think we're onto something here. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, Teresa Grant's former Rutgers coach went to Illinois. So we've had that connection. Yeah. Yep. During this time, what sites or handles are you visiting and following for unique content? You know, what's funny is, uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a, uh, outcast or an outlier. I'm an outcast, but I'm, I'm also an (laughs) outlier. Um, you know, I don't, I'm a, I'm a, Personally, I'm a big hockey fan. And so in, in, when the seasons are on and the games are being played, I, 
I follow a tremendous amount of hockey people. But with this stoppage and with no live sports, what I have found personally is it's almost like the dust has kind of settled and I'm following a lot less sports on my social handles and kind of rediscovering or re-engaging with the handles that weren't necessarily all about sports news because frankly, there really is no sports news. Uh, and once we get on the other side of this NFL draft, there'll be even less sports news. So to me, I'm following, uh, I'm, I'm re-engaging with the ones I, I think National Geographic does a great job on Instagram. I love those. It's for me, that's kind of an escape. Um, I, I've always, I mean, I've, I've loved for decades, uh, Mr. Steve Martin, but lately he's been engaging fans with banjo music, mm -hmm. which I just think is just the best. I'll watch mm -hmm. his banjo music over and over again. And it's because I have the time to do it. I don't know that I would be doing that if, if I didn't have this kind of um, break. I remember when I was a kid, the NFL went on strike. And I remember thinking my life was over <laughs> because there was no NFL football. Mm -hmm. But what, what I found was, I've, <laughs> miraculously, I found other things to do. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I didn't go back to football, but I just found other things. So for me, this has been a time to kind of almost like just kind of weed out the things that, that I really didn't need, the distractions I didn't need before, and hone in on things that are just a little different than what I do on a daily, on a daily cadence. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And you are based in Chicago, home of the conference's headquarters. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker noted models predict the COVID-19 peak will be reached in mid-May. So as he adjusts the stay-at-home order, what have you learned while working from home? I tell you, it's been fascinating. I, I really, I've always enjoyed uh, the 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 idea of communications and the communications business in general. Um, but for us, we've learned one: we can actually do it. <laughs> we can actually pull this off from home. A big part of that is my team was already very cloud-based. So I, I, even before this hit, a lot of us could do a lot of our work from home. And the strength of being in the office together was the communication and the, and, and the nimbleness with which we moved. So what I've learned just over the last month and a half is the value of efficient and concise communication that maybe I didn't have before. or I made some assumptions and I was able to get away with it because I knew I would run into that guy in the hallway. Um, and we, we, my team and the teams that I, that my team works with, um, have been incredible when it comes to that. Um, I think part of it is there's nothing else to do. There's no distraction. So it's a little bit easier to focus on work. It's still work and it's still, uh, can be a bit of a grind. Um, but they understand that if you're not communicating, this whole thing is kind of going to fall apart. So we rely heavily, I'm doing a lot less, this <laughs> is funny, I, I'm working from home and I've done a, a huge amount less of email and a lot more, a lot more slack. Clearly we all have zoom calls in our life, which I think have been an interesting evolution over the last month and a half. Um, but it's really comes back to that, that communication in a communications business. And I've always said, having worked in it most of my career, some of the poorest communicators I've worked with are in the communications business, but this thing is kind of, alerted everyone to the importance of being able to talk through ideas and, and brainstorm and, and not make assumptions. That would be the biggest one for me. 
Yeah, you, you mentioned Zoom and Slack. Uh, when you're creating content, and we see a lot of this on your social handles, what tools would you use? Are there any special, you know, filters or, you know, I don't know, just any any kind of technical sure. tools to, to sure. create well, content? Our, yeah, our website has always been, has been for a number of years based on WordPress, which is always uh, cloud-based, very easy to update. Um, all of my team is well-versed in all of the social platforms. And then we're still using our editing suite. So we use Adobe Premiere to edit a lot of our video because we're a very video centric um, organization. But we use a company called Grabio to archive and socially distribute our content. So that would be like our content library. And then we have a second content library, which has become much more, <laughs> much more powerful with, with uh, the work from home situation with a company called WSC, which is, uh, you know, a, a, a live play or live action automated cutting service that allows us in season to cut games um, automatically and tag plays. But, but even though there's no live sports on now, it's a tremendous archive for us to go back and create, for instance, you know, a 10 minute, a 10 minute reel on Ohio state's chase young here are all of his career sacks. And we do that with the push of about three buttons. So for us, it's been Slack and Zoom, but WSC and Grabio, which are obviously cloud-based, have been kind of fill in the gaps for us. And that's that's how all of us have been able to work from home. Yeah, and you touched on this a little earlier, but when you're not in the middle of a pandemic, could you take us through a day and how you and your team create content for the conference and its member institutions? Sure. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll preface this by saying that we work kind of in part, not kind of, we work in partnership with our 14 schools. And if you think of each school and how many teams they have, of course, each team has its own handles. So the handle, the number of handles and the number of people creating content on the schools is significant as well. But, you know, and given the season and for us, obviously football through basketball and into the late spring sports um, on any given day, we're following the news um, we're watching our metrics for sure on a, on a, on a daily basis. Some of us and actually look at them on an hourly basis, uh, cough, cough, YouTube. Mm-hmm. And we, we talk about what's ahead. And the, the biggest challenge I think from, for my team is to know that we could do so much stuff. We really could do so much stuff, but we want to do the right stuff and we want to do a lot of the right stuff. So we're constantly kind of talking through. And I, I bet you for every idea that we come up with, we have three or four where we kind of go, well, what about that? What about, uh, yeah, it doesn't work. Or, oh, let's table that for later when we can have some time. The goal for us as a, as a business really is, is to create good, compelling, engaging content across all platforms, which as everyone knows who's do, who does it is, is not really easy. But also to tap into the things that we know people really, really like. And that's the live games and it's the archival games and it's the players and the coaches and, and the stuff that, that works per platform, right? Something that works on Twitter doesn't necessarily work on Snapchat or on Instagram or on YouTube to really dial in on serving the specific platform audiences. So we have, you know, it's a regular editorial uh, operation. We, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're there from, you know, early in the morning to somewhat late at night during a football season. You know, it's a seven day a week operation, that's for sure. And it's, it's really, it depends on the day, but we're always focused on making and, and we're always focused on experimenting in the live environment. 
And you talked again earlier, but we'll dive deeper into BTN Student U, the um, leading production branch of BTN's Big Ten Olympic sports coverage, producing 700 live events each year. What have you learned while working with students and, and how do those interactions inform the content you create and the applications you use? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. So that is run out of our remote team, which does the live broadcast. Um, and uh, there's a couple things. One is I think students get an unparalleled experience working on that stuff. To be able to call a game, to be able to run a camera, run a board, it's really, really hands-on experience. And so those feed into BTN Plus as our subscription product. And several of them, uh, or a handful of them, throughout the year will wind up on television um, and kind of on, on delays, which the kids are obviously really, really excited about. Um, what I found is it's working with the team that manages Student U, they've really been interested in the digital space uh, and, and so interested that in the last few years, we have kind of handed the keys off to them to create digital content for us, right? That's a win for my team, but it's also a win for them. So if, the, if baseball was going on right now and there was a great play in, in, the, Indiana, in the Indiana baseball game uh, that, that we weren't necessarily monitoring, they have surfaced some really amazing plays that would have gone unseen were it not for the fact that they could tweet the play out um, almost in real time. So it's just another example of how, you know, at BTN as a company is trying to, I don't, I don't want to use the word pivot, I think that gets overused, but transition itself into a company that is making great content, a lot of which winds up on television, but a lot of it also, an expanding amount, winds up on these digital platforms. And Student U is a, is a perfect example of that. They'll, they'll make reels for us at the end of the season, you know, the top 40 softball plays, the top 40 volleyball plays, and that helps us program YouTube and helps us program Facebook and it helps us program Twitter. It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting little program. And uh, speaking of programming Twitter and getting a little more personal with you, as we tape this, April 23rd, it's the 10th anniversary of the launch of your Twitter handle, written from the perspective of former Chicago Blackhawks head coach Joel Quenville's upper lip. At Coach Q's mustache, earned 41,000 followers over 18,000 tweets through three Stanley Cup titles and his 2018 firing. In January, upon Quenville's return with the Florida Panthers, the Athletic profiled this creation and, you know, you've talked a lot about ideating and, and learning new skills. Why did you start at Q, Coach Q's mustache? And over the past decade, what have you learned from it? <laughs> well, I think I started it because I was bored. But <laughs> uh, uh, honestly, you know, I, I'm, I'm no spring chicken, but I always try to keep learning no matter what. I've always done that in my career, um, for, for better or for worse. But I never wanted to be the guy who didn't know how to do something. And when Twitter rolled around, and, and, and people who are listening should really think about this, you know, 10 years ago, <laughs> Twitter, let alone a number of the other uh, platforms, some of which didn't even exist then, Twitter was a different animal. It was a different beast. It was not a video-centric, image-centric service. It was, it was still very, very uh, immature. And I don't mean that in, a, in an act way i mean it didn't get it, nobody really knew what it, what it was going to become and i don't think twitter knew either and, and I, I work with people from twitter so what i wanted to do is just learn how to use twitter in a way that would make, make it a little more fun for me and I, I will tell you some people don't believe this but i will tell you that i learned a significant amount and translated it over to what we do at the big 10 network to this day and one of those things is is to me 
Twitter is real time. It is real time and is the companion app for live sports in my estimation. And, and, and it had was starting to become that even, even then um, almost by default or, or by, by um, just out of the blue. I don't think Twitter even meant to do it that way. So I started tweeting, but I would only, I learned very quickly to only tweet during games or to tweet around big news for the Blackhawks. I'm a Blackhawks fan. I follow the team. I know when this happens. And that's when the tweets would really catch fire and take off. But when I tweeted at nine o'clock in the morning on, the, on my train ride on the way into the city, and I would send that tweet and I would go, this is funny. This is good. This is going to be the best tweet ever written. It would, it would just, it would go off like a fart in the wind. Nobody, nobody would pay any attention to it. And so we really started to focus at the Big Ten Network uh, during that time, but then into the middle of the decade on real-time highlights. And once Twitter kind of opened that up, I believe the NFL and the NBA were maybe the first leagues to do it. We were, I remember making calls to our people at Twitter saying, let us do this, let us do this. They eventually did, and it exploded for us. Um, it seems normal now, right? If, if you see a dunk on TV and you want to see it again, you go, to, you go to Twitter. It wasn't so normal then. And so that's been a real part of our, a big part of our business is real-time uh, live uh, highlights and replays. And it's a big reason why we partnered with that company, WSC, because that allows us to really open up the funnel and just get a lot more content out there in real time. And uh, going back to that athletic story, when I read it and knowing that you're a fellow Larry King fan, I had to make an old-timey reference on this podcast. And reading uh, one of your quotes here brought me back to Jimmy Cagney and Yankee Doodle Dandy as George M. Cohen, where he says, my mother thanks you, my sister thanks you, I thank you. And your quote is, my father had a mustache, my grandfather had a mustache, my great-grandfather, they all had. I come from a long line of mustaches, which is probably why I lean towards the idea. But no, it's meaning a mustache is not for me. But during the pandemic, you're living your mustache manifest destiny. Um, have you yeah. learned? Yeah, you, and, and you kind of look like a cross between Al Herbosky and Glenn Hubbard, if you know Thank you. Cardinals Thank you. pitchers or that's, a yeah. brave second baseman. That's very complex. The, the look I've been going for lately is Derek Smalls from Spinal Tap. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, my it's, it is funny. I met Coach Quenville a few years after um, I started the account and when the account was kind of starting to really climb. And uh, it was through an odd series of uh, coincidences. But uh, I introduced myself as the man, <laughs> the man behind, <laughs> the man behind his mustache. Except I'm not the man behind his mustache yeah. because, Coach, you're yeah. the man behind. <laughs> yeah. And I began to explain to him why I started to do it. And I was with three of my my best friends from high school, and they all looked at me like I was going nuts. <laughs> and and Quenville looked at me like I was going nuts, but I felt like I owed it to him to understand. Of course, he hadn't seen it, but his his son, his daughter, and I believe his wife had seen it. And some of the people in the communications department at the Blackhawks were big fans of it, too. So it was all in good fun. But after we chatted for, I don't know, it might have been 10 minutes, we started walking back to the locker room before the game. And he slaps me on the back and he says, uh, so we're going to we're going to keep this clean. Right. We're going to keep this account clean. <laughs> Well, of course, yes, yes, Mr. Quinville, we'll keep it clean. And then he stops and he looks at me and he points to my face and he goes, I can't believe a guy writing as a mustache doesn't have a mustache. <laughs> said, well, 
I can't, I can't pull it off like you can't, Coach. So <laughs> it, I just said, so look, some people can do a mustache. I can't. I'm growing a mustache and, and mutton chops at home because I don't have to go out in public. But once <laughs> I have to go out in public again, I'm sure, I'm sure the hair will, will cease to uh, be on my face. So now that you have a mustache, will you be tweeting again? January, I saw was the last tweets on that handle. No, no more. No, no more mustache tweets. I, I gave that thing a ride, the, the best ride I possibly could. And it was so much fun. And I learned so much. And I really did enjoy I, I, I started it to make a couple of my friends laugh. And as long as I was making them laugh for the last 10 years, that's all that really mattered to me. Um, but when, it, when I ended the account, uh, when he returned, it was just to me, it was just the perfect the perfect way to kind of cap it off because you know who 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 wants to be doing that when it, they shouldn't be doing it and speaking of great rides in chicago sports um you know you mentioned uh, your chicago ties espn moved up its documentary the last dance chronicling michael jordan's career in the sixth yeah. and final championship of his era with the bulls for the last three titles, you worked for the Chicago Tribune, and you were the executive producer for ChicagoSports.com for the first season following the dynasty. How did the Tribune cover the team during the time back when Barack Obama was just a Chicago resident? <laughs> right, right, yeah, good old, good old Barack Obama. <laughs> um, that was that was some of the funnest work I've I've ever done, and and you know when it sounds important, ex- executive producer of ChicagoSports.com, I, I was like one of three guys, but <laughs> um, to be in a newsroom, especially a newspaper newsroom, um, at at the peak of a, a, a sports team taking over a city, right? Anyone who's ever lived in a city where they've won championships, you know, Boston and, and with the Patriots and the Celtics for a while there, and and the Bruins, you. It, it changes a city. It just does. You wake up, and even if you're not the biggest fan or, or even any kind of a fan, there's a vibe to the city. And working at the Tribune and, and being part of a very small part of a sports section and then the internet coverage was just a trip because what the Tribune was doing was something a lot of newspapers would do then, and, and sadly very few do anymore, which is they just flooded the zone. They just sent 10 people to a practice, right? 10 people to a game. And we had special sections and the, there was always somebody writing for the front page of the newspaper about the Bulls. And it was just a fun time to be creating. I mean, we didn't call it creating content back then. They called it writing stories. But to to be part of this huge, huge thing. Um, yeah, it was Michael Jordan and the Bulls, but it would just take over the city. And I remember the last championship season, it was still... I was working on the internet side of the Chicago Tribune sports section then. And, and we, we had Casey Johnson who, who covered the bull, who covered the bulls for the Tribune for many, many years now works at the local NBC station. We, he was just a small time guy. They'd send him out to write sidebars. They sent him to go be the internet reporter for the bulls, which sounds quaint, but back then that was a hell of a thing to dedicate a guy. And so we would sit, we would sit there and go, well, how are we going to do this differently? Because we don't want to write the same stories that the newspaper's writing. And by the way, the newspaper's writing stories for tomorrow's newspaper. And so what we had him do, and I really, I really enjoy this memory, is he would go to Berto Center, where the Bulls then practiced. He would report, and then he would write a notebook, a big beefy notebook, and we would post that after practice. So at one o'clock uh, after lunch. On ChicagoTribune.com, you could read all about the Bulls. 
and everything that happened at practice. And that thing exploded. It really took off because people uh, didn't have a way. They didn't have Twitter, obviously, or Instagram or teams publishing stuff on websites. They didn't have a way to get the news about this team that was taking over, you know, not only the sports landscape in the U.S., but across the world. And that was really fun. That's that kind of live experimentation that I've tried to duplicate and replicate um, throughout our career and, and, and just try to find what works. And usually it takes six or seven times, but eventually you get there. Yeah, and that, and that speaks to that impact of not only the team's run, but the reporting of it. And I'm wondering when you moved over, you know, to that ChicagoSports.com role heading into the first year after, you know, Phil and Michael, what did you do to try to keep that momentum going and, you know, go ahead? Yeah, right. You you always hate to be a slave to page views, that's for sure. I'll tell you what we did. And I don't know that we were thinking about this at the time specifically, but we started to look at the things that had worked for ChicagoTribune.com and again, tried to replicate them. So here's a, for instance, <clears throat> I believe in the spring, um, I want to say it was the spring of 2000, um, but it might have been 99. The Cubs went to Japan. It was 2000. The Cubs went to Japan to play the Mets uh, in, um, I think at the time it was Korakuen Stadium, but uh, either way. And so that's overseas. So we sent somebody. <laughs> we sent somebody to take pictures and send pictures back. And how we got the pictures back, I, I do not recall. Hmm. Um, some sort of FTP server, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had a guy uh, stay up or get up early in the morning when the games were. And he would kind of what they would call these days or they used to call live blog it. Mm-hmm. And so we had a guy and we called it from the cubicle. <laughs> and this guy would just, he was, he was very, very funny. He knew the game well. And he would just do play-by-play and he would write these, you know, these several thousand words throughout a baseball game. And people loved it. And so we did that for the Bears from the cubicle. Um, did the Bears games and, and, and people loved it and they started to interact. Now, remember, this is before blogs. This is like early days of message boards. Hmm. So people really, the, the pages on those things really, really spiked. And again, it goes back to that live, that appetite for a live experience around a sporting event. And so uh, the other thing we did was we, we hired a guy to, to cover spring training. Um, this sounds crazy. He was our internet port reporter for spring training. His name is Scott Merkin. And he actually wor- works for the White Sox or covers the White Sox now for MLB.com. And he, we sent him the spring training. Same deal. Newspaper reporters would gather with the managers and they'd talk and, you know, shoot, shoot the breeze, go back and write their stories for the newspaper the next day. We had Scott go in there and collect all those notes and we'd post them in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And that was, now that I think of it, there was a there was a moment where the beat writers for the newspapers were upset with that. They were upset with it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they wanted the White Sox. And I don't remember if the White Sox did this or not. They wanted the White Sox to hold separate sessions mm. for the newspaper guys, and then this one digital guy who was there living in in Arizona for three and a half weeks for spring training. Mm. Uh, it's funny now, right? Yeah, it's right. silly now, right. um, but at the time it was really really different. And again, we were following trying to follow we didn't have great metrics but we were trying to follow the appetite of the sports fan and and serve it accordingly and not just do things that we thought were good but do things that we thought were were good and and worked because we wanted to have a business that was sustainable and not just us throwing stuff on the web because we thought it was cool 
It's been a great conversation. You mentioned the Rutgers piece coming up. Will BTN.com at Big Ten Network social handles, or you personally be launching any new features or products in the near future? You know, it's hard to, it's really hard to say given the situation that we're all in right now. I think what we've, what we've decided to do on a, on a digital front is to use this downtime and, and we don't welcome the downtime, but we certainly welcome the ability to do new things um, to create as many of these video recalls as possible um, to kind of stash away because a video recall of Urban Meyer watching the 2016 Michigan Ohio State game, that's going to be good tomorrow and it's going to be good a year from now. Um, and so we're crafting these pieces to be as evergreen as possible, but still be compelling. So for us, we're dialing in on that work because one, we know it'll work. And two, it, it's, it, it's not easy to make, but we're able to make it given the situation uh, that we're in. But what I've always told my team and what the other teams have, have kind of echoed as well is, you know, let's not just get comfortable. Let's continue to think about the things that we could make right now that, that would work. For instance, I think Zoom, so it's no newsflash, Zoom is a real game changer um, and will be a game changer on the other side of, of this quarantine, this pandemic, because it's allowed people, even for this podcast, to, to record and interview and engage with people in a way that they weren't thinking about doing before. Um, we have, you know, there, there, there are hundreds and hundreds of people we'd love to talk to not just for video recalls, but in general, for features that I think we will, we will absolutely tap into moving forward for digital content. Because at the end of the day, digital content is a volume business. And the more of these that we can create and the more engagement we can drive, um, you know, with, with, let's face it, limited resources. We all have a limit on what we can do. Uh, the better off we're gonna be. So nothing specific in terms of, of product, but I think you'll see a lot more stuff like video recall um, coming down the pipe from uh, BTN. Well, we got a lot to look forward to. Um, I hope you and your family and your team stay safe. Thanks very much for your time, Chris Malcolm, Director of Digital Content at the Big Ten Network. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and, and, and it's good to talk with you too. You can follow Chris on Twitter at the Chris Malcolm, all one word. And thanks for listening to Believe in the Media Guide. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts on social media. I'm on Twitter at Hotem, H-O-T-H-E-M is in Mary. Stay tuned and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.